Welcome to Eye on the Triangle with Sesha Hindi, a weekly glimpse into our community, bringing you news from the brickyard to your backyard. This week in news on Eye on the Triangle, a brief rundown of the latest news. Today is Wednesday, August 11th. In local news, schools in the cities of Raleigh and Cary scored high marks from GreatSchools.org, a national public and private school rating source. Raleigh topped the large city category, which includes all cities with a population of 300,000 or more, and Cary finished third in the mid-sized cities category, with populations between one and 300,000. The school ranking organization lauded the county's diversity policy as the reason for the high marks, and also expressed concern that the plans to end it may prove detrimental. Quote, the future of this stellar district is in doubt, said a great school representative, who went on to say, an election last fall changed the makeup of the school board, and the new board recently voted to end the diversity policy. End quote. More than one... More than one plan for compromise still remains on the table in Wake County, with no resolution firmly decided upon. In more county school-related news, the News & Observer reported today that the board will take a final vote next month on easing the county-wide zero-tolerance policy. In general, the current policy details strict punishments for certain actions, including harsh and often mandatory year-ending suspensions. The vote taken Tuesday was met with a rare unanimous vote. A final confirming vote will be taken sometime in the coming month. Also on Tuesday, the board reversed a 1988 decision that allowed schools to be named after geographic locations only rather than people. In state justice news, the News & Observer reports that 119 of the state's 159 death row inmates are seeking reduced sentences, citing racial bias throughout the justice process. According to the Racial Justice Act of 2009, death sentences that are ruled discriminatory can be reduced to life without parole. Discussion remains as to whether each case ought to be considered individually or if cases can be decided together based on common issues. According to Wake County District Attorney Colin Willibo, many of the issues revolve around a lack of diversity on juries, saying that, quote, the accusations are that somehow because a jury was all white, it was racist, and I don't know how you get to that conclusion, end quote. Also in local justice news, the Durham Herald Sun reports that Durham police are currently looking for leads on a double shooting, one of which was fatal, that occurred Tuesday night in the four, in the 4,400 block of Chapel Hill Boulevard. Around 10 p.m., 52-year-old Georgia native Larry Timberlake was transported to Duke Hospital, where he was later pronounced dead. The other victim, 30-year-old Robert Terry from Durham, was also taken to Duke and was treated for non-life-threatening injuries. Police ask that anyone with information regarding the incident contact Durham Crime Stoppers at 919-560-4440. In national news, the Associated Press reports that stock tumbled today after the Fed released a statement yesterday detailing their intent to stimulate the economy by purchasing bonds. Inadequacy of government involvement and general uncertainty about the market's directions are pointed out as causes for today's drastic downturn, in which only 442 stocks of the 3,000-plus in the New York Stock Exchange rose. In national political news, a recent Wall Street Journal NBC News poll has found that a combined 60% of Americans feel that Congress has performed either below average as one of the worst legislatures in the nation's history. 31% say that Congress has been average, and only a combined 6% approve of the job or think it has been one of the best in history. The poll, which includes feelings about the president's performance to date, was released in full at 6.30 p.m. That's it for today's news. Make sure to stay tuned for the rest of Eye on the Triangle. So 
from the sidelines on Eye on the Triangle. Your weekly update on athletic events. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. I'm here with Tyler Everett to talk about this week in sports. Um, Tyler, you were saying not a lot is going on in terms of football news or just news in general. Um, but what what can you tell us about the football schedule? Uh, well, for the schedule, State certainly got a difficult schedule last year. Actually worked out pretty favorably, at least in terms of the schedule, and the team struggled anyway. But this year is going to be a little different. Uh, six home games, whereas we played or the team played eight last year. Uh, four four teams on our schedule are ranked in the uh, preseason top 25 with two more right outside of it. Cincinnati and Clemson both receive votes, but not quite enough to get in the top 25. And then four teams, uh, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, UNC, and Florida State are all nationally ranked inside the top 20. So obviously with, with, six, with six teams on the schedule either ranked or very close to being ranked, um, the team's going to have its work cut out for it. However, I do think it, it's got uh, a favorable, a, a good chance for a favorable early start. Uh, home game against Western Carolina. That's a one double A team. Um, got to pencil that in as a win, even if you're not necessarily the most optimistic. And then with uh, two more, or uh, a road trip to Central Florida, another not a bad team at all. A team that's been to bowls in the majority of the past couple of years. But compared to the rest of the schedule, a uh, very winnable game, and then another home game against Cincinnati on Thursday night. And for a lot of fans, that'll be their uh, their big opener. That'll be the first game a lot of people are really jacked about because so many people with the Western Carolina game, a team like Western, people won't be quite as up for. But Thursday night, national TV and the first uh, big-name team states playing this year, that will be a huge game. Cincinnati won the Big East a year ago and went to the Sugar Bowl, lost to Florida, but uh, had a great season a year ago, got a new coach, lost a lot of players. They certainly won't be the powerhouse they were last year. They're not even ranked in the top 25, and they were top 10 last year, so obviously they've lost a lot. But on the uh, other hand, on the other side of that, it's uh, still definitely a very strong opponent right there. Okay. Well, talk to us a little bit about the offense. Um, offensively, states uh, should have no problem scoring points. They didn't at all a year ago, still struggled. Uh, just went two and six in ACC play, but with Russell Wilson back, uh, he's done with his baseball. He was also uh, recently got engaged, so he's had a busy off season away from the football field. But he'll turn his attention back to the football field, and he'll have uh, core receivers to throw to that uh, most quarterbacks in the country, I believe, would be real jealous of, uh, especially statistically. Uh, Owen Spencer is back again this year. He led the nation last year in yards per catch at I believe twenty five point five which is tremendous. 15 yards of catch is good. So if you're averaging 26 yards of catch, like I said, that's one of the – and on paper it is the best deep threat in the country. Jarvis Williams led the ACC last year in touchdowns and is the active leader among ACC player, among ACC receivers with, I believe, 15 career touchdowns. And George Bryan was a first-team All-ACC tight end a year ago and a preseason pick to repeat that as a first-year All-ACC – as a first-team All-ACC tight end again. So uh, can't ask for three better receivers to throw to, and we've all seen what Russell's done over the past couple of years, so you got to expect the uh, the success through the air to be there again this year, uh, only even better than in years past, and that's hard to believe considering some of the some of the things State's done through the air these past couple of years with Russell. Okay, and what about the defense? How's that looking? Uh, the defense is a little more uncertain. Last year struggled really Poor, uh, struggled really badly. Um, a lot of difficulty, especially with the secondary. Um, the 
State had no problem scoring points last year, but just could not get stops on the other end. Gave up a number of record-setting career-high days to opponents, both quarterbacks and running backs, and a lot of that started in the secondary. Uh, having talked to some of those guys, it seemed like the one thing they were lacking last year was experience. They were young, they were athletic, but they got injured. There were a ton of injuries and among guys that were already young, and this, that went from young guys who started the season as starters to young guys who um, were penciled in earlier in the year as not being ready. So a long year, but all those guys have experience. Um, almost all of them are back. Jarvis Bird has been injured already. Rashard Smith as well. Uh, Jarvis Bird's injury was actually sustained a year ago, but he will miss all of this year. And then Rashard Smith was penciled in as a starter, and he's already gone down. So more uh, tough luck for the secondary. But a common, a common theme talked about last year with the defensive struggles was the fact that they were young, they were learning, they were out of place a lot of times, they didn't know where to be lined up, they didn't know where they needed to be, and that's where the struggles came from. The struggles were not a matter of a lack of speed or aggression or an inability to, to find the ball in the air. It was just uh, a lot of problems reading opposing offenses, and with a year of experience, you never know that could be the story of the year, the turnaround back there with those guys getting their feet under them and getting more comfortable. Okay. Can we expect Nate Irving to return? Nate Irving is uh, back. He had a horrible car injury last June that ended his junior season before it ever started. He uh, is actually moving to middle linebacker this year. He played weak side in the past where he roamed around a little more. It allowed him to get, I believe it was four interceptions, uh, which was third best on the team that year, or maybe led the team. Uh, messing up there, but he was tops in the ACC among linebackers with that many interceptions, and 80-some tackles was good enough for him to get honorable mention and then uh, State missed him badly last year anybody who watched that defense could tell they were missing 56 so to have him back and then in the middle you'd expect uh, more of a leadership role from him maybe a little less roaming around but he'll be the backbone of the defense he'll be uh, the quarterback of the defense if you will uh, helping call plays and get everybody organized and should uh, should make those should help that linebacking core be formidable both stopping the run and the pass what about the, less, the rest of the linebackers? Um, State's got experience in the linebacking core. That's probably that's easily the most experienced part of the defense. Terrell Manning, uh, Dwayne Maddox, Audie Cole all started several games last year. All those guys are back. Sterling Lucas was a backup who got a lot of playing time. He's back. So the two deep across the board with the linebackers is, is very strong. Um, not by no means a, a handful of all ACC players, but certainly guys with a ton of potential and guys that same idea in the secondary. The guys in the linebacking core struggled less last year, but same idea that you would expect them to be that much better this year because if there was one fault they had last year was a lack of experience. They've got that now. They've got one of the best linebackers in the ACC, if not the country, helping them out. And uh, other big news for the linebacking core is the hire of John Tenuta, former linebacker coach Andy McCollum, left for Georgia. The new the new man in is John Tenuta, who has coached at Carolina and several of the top schools and has had a reputation. His defenses have always historically been very good. Um, that's another point of optimism for uh, fans thinking about the defense is that if his track record is any indication, the uh, giving up 30 points a game is not is not going to happen anymore with him with him under control. His defenses haven't done that in the past, and with with the cast at linebacker like he's got, um, you've got to expect it to be a, a more entertaining defense to watch for state fans and a less entertaining defense for other other fans to know their offense is going up against. Okay. So the secondary struggled last year. Should we expect anything different this year? Well, uh, as I was saying, one of the one of the common 
things discussed with that last year was that those guys were young. They've got that experience now. So you would certainly hope um, they would be better having that experience. Um, we'll only see how valuable that is once the season starts. But, you know, you got to look at it as they've got nowhere to go but up. Essentially, they gave up a ton of points and a ton of yards last year. Uh, like I said, you got to expect that to be at least a little bit better. And at best, you know, maybe they'll make that huge turnaround and, and – be the talk of the ACC about how far they've come in, in just two years. So what are your predictions for next year for football? Um, a lot of people are down on this football season, and I look at the roster and I certainly see uh, areas of either inexperience or weakness that make you wonder how well we'll do. But looking at the schedule, talked earlier about how difficult it was, but uh, just going through game by game, if, uh, if I may uh, offer some predictions here, I think the game against Western could be a win. I'd call that a win, just if you had to say win or loss on each one of these. The Central Florida game, I think that's a team that we can that State can beat if it if it plays up to par. Cincinnati on Thursday night with the fans with the fans going nuts and with that atmosphere, I, I could see them coming out and performing well. Call that a win too. So I'm saying three in a row, three victories in a row to start the season. Uh, the next two games are at Georgia Tech and home against Virginia Tech. Georgia Tech won the ACC title last year and is number 17 in the country in the preseason. Uh, not real optimistic about that. Probably don't expect a win going down to Atlanta, so I'd say loss there. Home game against Virginia Tech, who's number six and really outclassed state last year. Uh, don't see the pack pulling that out either. But uh, the next game is at home against Boston College. Boston College is a team that, that's certainly no powerhouse, certainly a team State can have if they play up the potential. Uh, call that a win. Um, going to ECU, they won the Conference USA title the past two years, but State beat them two years ago. They've lost a lot. I, I, I see no reason why State can't take uh, the Pirates down in Greenville. Home against Florida State on Thursday night. State's always played Florida State really well. Um historically last year was was no exception florida state had a good team certainly on paper was probably a big favorite in that game and it came down to the wire they uh, essentially got the ball last and that had a lot to do with why they won so why not say win there at clemson clemson's another team state has had a whole lot of difficulty with in the past i uh, would not expect a win there i'm gonna say loss Wake Forest is a team State, uh, I believe, should have beat last year. They they were up on them in the first half and then and then struggled and, and kind of gave that game away, I thought. Um, so, say win there, they lost their quarterback, who was a big part of that attack. And like I said, I thought State should have won that game last year. UNC, preseason number 18, I think they're extremely talented but extremely overrated, as it seems as though they are every year. They've got a defense that could be playing I mean a good handful of those guys could be in the NFL right now but I still think they've got a lot of question marks on offense and I think O'Brien's got UNC's number and I both hope and think that that will continue this year so when they're uh, at Maryland Maryland's another one of the teams in the ACC that's that's struggled as much as state has over the past couple of years I've not heard much about them much reason to expect big things out of the Terps I think that's another winnable game so this is certainly extremely optimistic look at it but by that count, I would I've got State going nine and three, which is much better than a lot of people expect. A lot of people have said, you know, maybe four or five wins, and uh, nine and three is certainly not to say it's an easy schedule or a lot of shoe in games. But I think uh, the team plays its best. I, I see no reason why it, why it can't pull out all but a couple games on that schedule. Okay, awesome. Anything else to wrap it up? I think that's it. Uh, season opener September fourth against Western. Uh, make sure you're.
there, that's kind of the most exciting time of the year because everybody's undefeated. At that point, optimism is still high. Nothing like tailgating in, in September. And uh look forward to seeing everybody out there. Okay, great. Thanks, Tyler. Yep. listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Eye on the Triangle. This is actually my last episode as host of Eye on the Triangle this year, so I'm really sad about it, but I know next, I guess next school year's host is going to do an awesome job, and I worked with some awesome people. Make sure to keep um, keep emailing and sending in your comments and nominating people for Wolfpacker of the Week. Eye on the Triangle will still be around. Um, it will be on Tuesday nights, though, starting next week, so make sure to tune in. I on the Triangle's VIP. Talking to people that matter. Before we get into this week's VIP, I wanted to talk a little bit about it. At first, we had the segment listed under Community Canvas. It's about the makers of popular Raleigh blog, Goodnight Raleigh. But while this blog may have started with a more artsy focus, it has developed into a lot more. It covers anything the photographers who run it find interesting with photos and stories. I had the opportunity to talk to some of the Goodnight Raleigh team. It was great to finally meet them after keeping up with their blog. I asked John Morris, the blog's founder, where his inspiration to start this blog came from. He said a lot of it had to do with his new move to Raleigh and his desire to find out what was going on in the area. I moved here in uh, 2004, started the blog uh, about two and a half, three years later. It was still relatively new to the area. And uh, basically just wanted to show pictures that I took as I was wandering around downtown Raleigh. And a lot of times I would put the photos out there and ask people for more information on what the history of something was. And uh, over time it really it's evolved from just putting a picture up to having more of a story that goes along with it. And after John started the blog, Devin McKim, a Raleigh native and now the art editor for Goodnight Raleigh, said he found the blog and saw it as an opportunity to get his photos out there. McKim graduated from NC State with a degree in architecture. I had just bought a new camera from a friend of mine, and I was out taking pictures, and I found uh, found John's blog, and I was just, I thought it was really cool, so I sent him a picture, and I was like, hey, I thought you might like this picture, and he was like, sweet, I'm putting it on the website, and shortly thereafter, he asked me to be a contributor, which, you know, I've been doing on and off for a long time, a couple of years now, yeah. yeah, and uh, I focus mostly on arts. First Fridays, the bike rides, the art galleries. Uh, I do a post on Kirby Derby and other community events too. But you know, it's been fun. It's a good. Everyone, everyone's always like, "Oh, you write for Goodnight Rally? That's my favorite blog in the Triangle." Everyone loves Goodnight Rally, and I, it's fun to be a part of it. Rasile Juch is another one of Goodnight Rally's contributors. She moved from Puerto Rico five years ago and is now an architecture major at NC State as well. Rasil said a big part of her interest in Goodnight Raleigh was that she really wanted to learn more about Raleigh's architecture, and photography is a hobby of hers. I actually joined really recently, um, back in October, maybe, or November. I don't know what it was this past year. But um, John actually contacted me through Twitter when he saw some of my pictures that I had posted online and stuff of Raleigh and all that, and he asked me that he liked my photography and asked me to, you know, see if I want to come to make some pictures. And I actually followed the blog and that made me really excited when I saw that because it was really cool that 
something that I had been like reading, you know, contact me to do some photography for them and all that, which was really fun. And then from then I wrote some articles and all that. And I've been doing a lot of kind of architecture or city at night pictures and also some events within NC State or anything related to that. And the team continues to grow. Danielle Carr is one of Goodnight Raleigh's newest contributors. She's majoring in anthropology and design at NC State. I actually have only contributed one article to Goodnight Raleigh so far, but I think the length was like five other articles combined. Um, (laughs) But um, the piece that I did was on um, Dick Bell's water garden. He was actually the guy who designed um, the NC State Brickyard, so that was kind of cool. Um, But I guess I just, I knew Sid, and then he introduced me to John, and then inevitably I wrote something for the site, as everyone who knows John eventually will. And then you have veterans like Sid Fowler, the nightlife editor, who find Goodnight Raleigh a way to continue doing something they love. Sid is about to finish his degree from NC State in philosophy, but before he transferred to state, he was at Western Carolina and was a photography major. He says the Goodnight Raleigh blog is a great way to continue his photography without having to worry about making money off of it. I guess I'd known John for quite a few years back home in the mountains before he moved down here and I joined the Army when I got out of the Army, I moved to Raleigh, and he was one of the only two people I knew. So we started hanging out, and I'd actually done night photography um, outside of the blog for quite a few years before moving down here. And so once I moved down here, he started kind of asking me to contribute. And so I guess it was New Year's 2009, or the 08 to 09 transfer was my first story, and then wrote quite a few articles during 2009. Then I took a bit of a hiatus this past semester to try and wrap up school, so now I'm just just getting back into it. But I do um, almost entirely people. I think I, I know John mostly does architecture and cityscapes and does some people, but I do almost entirely people. But what really inspires the contributors? How do they decide what they want to take photos of and what they want to write about? It's really hard to say what what the inspiration is or what the the driving force is. I've got as Sid mentioned, he does entirely people, and I generally do entirely buildings, and that's kind of the the neat aspect of having multiple contributors is that you get to see different viewpoints of Raleigh between people, history, architecture, arts, and that sort of thing. Um, and I really try and emphasize that people can write whatever they want to write about so long as it is about Raleigh, and it'd be nice if it happened to include some night photos but uh, otherwise it's completely free reign anything that they're interested in anything that they're passionate about i encourage them to post there's really no rules or guidelines like don't do this or why don't you do this it's you know it's pretty free form it's hard to say what i hoped it would develop into but it didn't really start out as a personal blog either i really didn't i didn't put too much of my own personal information or my own too much of my own thoughts into it at first. It was really the idea was just a picture and maybe a few words and then let people decide from there. And it's sort of moved from that to a longer in-depth research article. I think one of the really great things about Raleigh is that it's big enough to have um, quirky little things or interesting, charming places and um, features, but it's small enough that like a, a there's enough of a community there that if you see something, if you ask around long enough, 
um, you can find people who can be like, oh, that little mural means X, Y, and Z, and here's the whole history of that. Um, and it's also, there's enough of a community that, like, people, I think one of the reasons why the blog is so popular is because people can relate to it rather than maybe in a huge city. Like John said, it's really whatever you feel like writing about. But usually for me, it's more like, oh, hey, that's a cool photo I took, or, oh, hey, this is a cool experience that I had at the Kirby Derby, for instance. Maybe I should share that with people. Or, you know, if it happens to be related around art openings or, you know, SparkCon or something. I mean, anything that, you know, a lot of people are going to find interesting, I'm going to be more likely to put it on the blog. But there are things occasionally I want to write about that are kind of personal to me. Certain, like I, I too, was an architecture major, like certain buildings around town that have significance to me or to, you know, to my studies, uh, I'm be more likely to research or investigate or give a give a good article about because I can explain things about them. It's stuff I know, so I I tend not to do too many articles on things that I have to research way more than I you know feel comfortable with to just to write a good article about it. And did there seem like there was a need for a type of blog like Goodnight Raleigh? Actually, I, th- I thought there was a little bit of a need because. One thing that I noticed when I first moved here was there was uh, a real lack of a thriving downtown scene. I moved here from Asheville, which had a, has a pretty uh, vibrant and developing downtown scene. And because Raleigh, by the numbers, is a bigger city, I had just assumed that it would be the same, if not larger, here. And the more time I spent here, I was a little bit kind of disappointed that that wasn't the case. Um, and about the time that I had started, started the blog in '07. Downtown was growing in, in size. More people were, you know, there were more restaurants opening. There were more art galleries opening. There was just, there was there was a lot of growth. And I kind of, <clears throat> I'm really interested in uh, then and now uh, ideas, uh, old pictures, comparing it to new pictures, and, and just sort of looking at the growth and change. And I did think it was uh, needed to sort of document the growth that downtown Raleigh, or the transformation that downtown Raleigh was making from you know, a really quiet, underdeveloped uh, area that didn't really seem to have too much culture into, you know, what it is today and what it's going to be in a few years. One thing that I think that the the blog does is most of the the other popular blogs in Raleigh or the ones that focus on the nightlife are a little bit more commercial and they're more focused on either, you know, advertising events or venues and there's kind of photography is more just to show that people are out. And I think a couple things a blog does is it creates more of a non-commercial sense of community by focusing on the history and the architecture and events that aren't, you know, on the front page of the local newspaper and things like that. And then I think it also has a much heavier influence on photography as an art. And so, and so I think that helps too. What about the direction Raleigh is going? On a previous EOT episode, we compared Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill and their growth. Here's what the contributors had to say about their perceptions of Raleigh. I do like the direction Raleigh's going. I haven't, you know, they've had certain little art things. You know, Art Exposure's been around a while. There's certain things that have happened for a long time. But it's good to see now that, you know, they got, they got the Hopscotch Music Festival that's coming. They got uh, SparkCon every year, which has turned into a huge event. And it's, that's amazing. It's just making Raleigh into the creative hub that they were, you know, aiming to, um, aiming to emphasize. And, and only, I feel like only recently they really embraced 
that direction. And I think that's a really good thing for, you know, artists and photographers and designers and, you know, people who are interested in that kind of, like me, they're interested in that kind of thing. So I think it, I think it's changed a lot for the better. One of the things the contributors talked about, and it's something that I've noticed as well, is that a lot of people in Raleigh know what Goodnight Raleigh is. John said he didn't really have a set marketing plan to get the word out. It kind of just happened. I realized early on that the things that I'm interested in are of a pretty narrow uh, mindset. I'm I'm interested in a few things, and I'm interested in them a lot. But I also realized that to sort of expose these interesting and quirky parts of Raleigh to other people that I would, I guess, need to broaden my horizons, so to speak. And so one of the things I want to do early on was basically everyone that was into photography and, you know, had had an appreciation for Raleigh, I wanted to reach out to them and sort of have them add their voice so that it would appeal to more people. So it wouldn't just be, you know, people that wanted to know what the history of this building on the corner of the street was. It would be people that wanted to know about uh, some of the art scene and music events and, and that sort of thing. So it's uh, that's really been sort of the driving force is to, to broaden it to an extent, but not too much. Uh, kind of like Sid said, we don't want to, you know, post the same stories that are in the in the newspaper or in, you know, three or four other places. We want to sort of highlight the things you don't hear about. So by having uh, several contributors that have their own interests and their own viewpoints we can still achieve that and still uh, reach a wider audience. I have never really promoted it that much. Um, I really, the word really got out, uh, interestingly enough, through New Raleigh. Uh, I had met David Millsaps, the publisher of New Raleigh, uh, on the streets uh, on Fayetteville Street a couple, maybe a couple weeks before I started my blog, and he was uh, told me about his idea, and we got to talking, and uh I think a lot of the traffic early on was was from New Raleigh, sort of highlighting some of our posts. But beyond that, I uh, really haven't done any sort of promotion outside of, of Twitter and Facebook, really. Yeah, we had business cards. That's true. That's true. We do have business cards that when we take and when we're walking around uh, downtown at night, taking people's photos, and we'll hand them a business card. And so that's that is another way. Supposed to. And of course, what's a blog with that favorite post? The contributors talked a little bit about their proudest entries. This is kind of a funny story, but um, the first article I ever wrote was on Deep South Bar, which is in downtown about the open mic and kind of the you know music scene and you know a lot of just local artists that go there and sing music and stuff. And about a month ago, actually, um, I went there like I usually go every Tuesday at nine. And somebody at the bar approached me because they were asking, somebody asked for my name. And I was like, who's asking for a name? And these two guys that came from all the way from Clayton had read my article on the blog and were like, hey, we read an article. We wanted to check out Deep South and see what it's all about. And they really liked it. They liked my pictures. And they're like, yeah. So we came by and had a couple of drinks and they stayed all night. And I think that was really cool that they saw my article and then they decided to come all the way from Clayton to Raleigh to check out the bar. So. That's the one thing I would say. <laughs> Can I be proud of one of John's posts? <laughs> the one about the Raleigh Underground. That's like my favorite post on the website because I think people still write comments, write comments on that. When it was written over a year, a year and a half ago. I mean, it, two years ago, and I, I think that's amazing. I mean, that that's one of the like that's probably one of the best examples of how that site, you know, really gets people to connect. Because I mean, people from all different age groups 
can relate to the, or from actually a specific age group can can relate to this specific location. And I mean, literally, there are hundreds of comments on that on that specific topic, and everyone's got good memories. I don't think there's a single negative post on that entire one. But that's one of the great the great when you find something that I mean, I I had no idea it was there, and I grew up in Raleigh, and but I mean to know about it's nice, and now everyone from that age range that had great, good experiences there can, you know, talk about it or say, hey, I was there when this band played. Hey, I was there when that band played. I think that's really cool. Probably the article I'm most proud of, I, um, I'm really proud of the Palestinian Rally article I did. Um, when was that, a year and a half ago? About? Because um, cause I almost always plan things quite ahead of going out to photograph them or just do it kind of haphazardly. And I was the only piece of journalism I've done for the site, and I think the photographs came out pretty well, and I was happy with the story I wrote for it, and got a lot of response too. So probably the 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 biggest uh, or the article which has contributed the most towards the community is uh, a series of color wall posts that uh, Carl has made on the uh, public art piece in DHL Library. Uh, he had first, uh, I had asked him for some ideas on things that, you know, I could, on articles I could do for the blog, either historical or other, otherwise, and pointed out uh, the color wall in, in the DHL library. It's something, you know, even though I'd live, I've lived off Hillsborough Street for four or five years now, it's something I'd never heard about. I've spent a lot of time in DH Hill, n- had no idea it was there. And uh, after a little bit of research investigation, determined exactly what, you know, what a significant piece of Raleigh it was. And the response that uh, we received from Carl's article of, of students that were, that were students of Joe Cox, the uh, professor at the uh, College of Design, the overwhelming response of people that wanted to get it turned back on uh, led us for, led to a campaign to raise money to repair it. I think actually he was actually on the program uh, here recently. So uh, um, if you didn't happen to catch that particular show, uh, we've uh, friends of the Colorado have raised uh, more than enough to repair it. I think it was somewhere around ten thousand dollars, something along those lines. Another ten thousand or so uh, raised from the sale of Joe's paintings that were that was donated by his niece. So that's probably the thing I would be the most proud of is the fact that. You know, a simple hobby, something that we do for fun, was able to reach out and, you know, connect people to uh, the their, the late Professor Joe Cox and get this Raleigh's first public art piece restored. That's one thing that, that I like about the site. When I first moved to Raleigh, and I still feel this way to an extent, I feel like there's sort of a lack of community or a lack of social capital that you have in a lot of other cities, maybe because we've got a lot of people who've moved in recently Maybe it's because the city's a little bit more commercial than some because it's newer. But the site seems to it seems to provide somewhat of a sense of community, and it's interesting. Whenever, like Danielle posted the article on the water garden, or John did the story on the color wall, how people really jump all over that and are really interested in the history around here and interested in the community. And I think the site helps provide uh, somewhat of an outlet for people to get involved through. The site initially started as a photo blog, but then John decided it needed to develop even more. Uh, sometimes I would post uh, photos and people would ask me for information. I didn't know it, so I was sort of uh, encouraged to do more than just post the picture and uh, really discovered a lot more about Raleigh in the process of 
moving from just putting up a picture to, you know, spending a week or, you know, sometimes several weeks uh, going through books and spending time at libraries and other and other places getting information for it. So it's 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 been sort of a, a trans a long transition from posting one photo to posting uh, a really long researched article. And there are ways for the general community to contribute to the blog as well. Uh, there are there are a lot of people that write in and and say. Uh, I, I noticed this weird thing on the corner of this street. Do you know anything about it? And that does lead to, uh, has led to a few articles. Um, and then there are also, also cases in which uh, someone will leave a comment on one article. It will sort of give me an idea to, to take it a little bit further and, and start a new one. So it uh, it's hard to put in numbers, but I'd, I'd say it's maybe somewhere around 5 to 10% of the articles come from readers either through suggestions or comments or, uh, you know, saying something on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, trying to give me ideas that way. And the contributors definitely have plans for the blog's future. Um, Raleigh really had a happening uh, modernism scene back in the 60s that sort of started to evaporate as those um, buildings have been torn down or maybe obscured by um, other developments, but I don't think people realize like what a little mecca it was for that movement. So I'm interested in doing some more articles on that. Holly has like this had this for many years. Like the school design, which is now the College of Design, uh, was you know training architects, landscape architects, designers, and I think Danielle's article what was it? Eighty five percent of the people that went through Henry Camp Hefner's uh, program stayed in North Carolina, stayed in Raleigh. And I mean, like it was a real farm for modernists and it's kind of sad to see a lot of these buildings go because I mean, some people don't like them because of the way they look, but they are actually a significant piece of history. And it's, it's kind of sad how quickly people are willing to get rid of them. I mean, some buildings it takes, um, for, you know, more classical buildings, they'll get on the historic register pretty quick, maybe, or maybe not, but like, everyone's okay with just getting rid of the modern stuff, which is kind of unfortunate to me. I mean, Yeah, and the thing is that a lot of the modernist buildings aren't actually protected with historical status, like some of the older mm. buildings are. So even though they're, they are a significant piece of history, they just, there's, you, you can't get a profit for them, and they aren't protected historically. That's what happened with the water garden. They're, they're getting there. They're starting to get there, I think. I feel like. I don't know. Um, if I see the site going in any direction, <laughs> I'd almost see it going in even more different directions because especially with the regular contributors I, th- I think John's sort of initial vision of of photographs about downtown Raleigh that had stories that go with them are uh, I mean different people are doing things going further and further away from that even though it maintains sort of the central focus on Raleigh and downtown you know now Danielle for example is doing a lot of really in-depth historical articles, and Carl as well does a lot of really in-depth historical articles. Um, A couple of us have been talking about actually trying to photograph some of the smaller outlying communities around Raleigh, which I think is, as a major bedroom community type of town, the outlying communities are very important and still a big part of Raleigh. And so I think that's one thing that John's done really well and that's really great is he's created a forum 
where people with different interests can all have an outlet to express them in. And so I think as that goes forward, people are going to continue on their own visions and the stories will get, you know, even more interesting and different. Yeah, one area that it sort of progressed from, it was, it was, uh, at the beginning, it was strictly night photography. There, you know, it, it was, you know, a couple photos. It was at night and it was downtown. And, and w- <clears throat> one way it's progressed and one way that I see it progressing as time goes by is, uh, focusing more on areas outside of downtown. Like Sid mentioned, some of the smaller bedroom communities that surround Raleigh and, and seeing some of the interesting areas that are uh, a quick, short drive away. So, uh, so <clears throat> focusing on that as well as uh, even some daytime events have, have, have gone in here and there because they're just it's too important to document and put out there uh, to just exclude it because it's not at night. So the, the, the theme is still sort of uh, Raleigh downtown specifically at night, but uh, in the future we see it progressing uh, more towards other outlying areas and uh, more than just nightlife and, and architecture. And that wraps up our interview with John, Devin, Sid, Rocille, and Danielle from Goodnight Raleigh. To check out their blog, go to www.goodnightraleigh.com, or you can follow them on Twitter at GoodnightRal. This has been I Am the Triangle's VIP. I'm Seja Hindi. Triangle. Your local music news. You're listening to hear this on Eye on the Triangle. Shakori Hills, the farmland nesting between Pittsburgh and Siler City, just southwest of Chapel Hill, is close to becoming a proper noun that conveys the idea of gathering under the stars to celebrate live music, dance, and arts education. Famous for their grassroots music festivals that started in April of 2003, the Shakori Hills staff, volunteers, and supporters announced at their biannual festival in the spring that they are ready to take the next leap forward in community crafting by converting their beloved gathering place into a community arts center. They plan to do this by purchasing up the land they've stewarded since 03. On the Triangle speaking with Shakori's Sarah Waters about their transformation efforts and their upcoming fundraiser, Stars in the Round, on the 21st of August. Thank you for being with us, Sarah. Is it okay if I call you Sarah? Sure, yes. <laughs> That's my name. <laughs> Would you please describe Shikori Hills for someone who's never been able to make it out to your festivals in the spring or the fall or any of your special events? Sure. We have two festivals, one in October and one in April. Um, And they're four-day music and arts festivals, very community-oriented. There's so much, it's hard to to put in a little sentence. Around 50 bands, um, some of them are nationally and world touring bands, and then a lot of them are our local bands or state bands. Um, and they range from bluegrass to rock and roll to African to Middle Eastern, kind of all over the board. And then we have lots of local crafters that come in and sell their work. And we have great food vendors. We have a nonprofit area where, um, as I said, we're very community oriented. So it, we think it's important for lots of the nonprofits in the area to have a voice. And we're also very focused on the environment. So we have a sustainability area for people to share green ideas and all kinds of things. <laughs> And you can camp out, so it's very family-oriented. You have a fundraiser coming up on the 21st of August, correct? Uh, we do. There's kind of two organizations involved, and we're, we're very, we work closely together. But one of them is the Shakori Hills Community Arts Center, and the other one is the Shakori Hills Grassroots Festival. 
And the um, the community arts center is kind of in charge of all the events that are out there. The arts center is working to buy the land that the festival is on. And so the fundraiser on August 21st is to raise money to put a down payment on the land. And this is a nighttime activity? It is. It's it's in the evening. It starts at 7. There's three parts. There's the opening band called uh, Jack Maverick and his Wild Revel- Rebels, and they're a Pittsburgh band. And then in the middle, we're going to have a big songwriter circle with a lot of uh, local kind of stars. We, we're calling it North Carolina Stars in the Round. The last band is Holy Ghost Tent Revival, who's from Greensboro. What type of donation are you looking for? Tickets are $10. They'll be 15 at the gate, and all the money will go directly to buy the land. We actually got all of the performers to perform for free, and all of the food vendors, and Carolina Brewery will be there with beer, and all of that was free, which was really amazing to see people come out and do that for us. Who will be performing in the singer-songwriters in the round portion? Sure, yeah. I didn't, I didn't mention specific names, but we're really excited we have um, Greg Humphreys from the, the band Hobex, and he also does a lot of solo stuff. And he's kind of the host of the Thongwriter in the Round performance. And then we have John Howie Jr. and uh, Catherine Whalen from the Squirrel Nut Zippers, who also has a, a solo thing going on. Justin Robinson from the Carolina Chocolate Drop. And a woman singer-songwriter from Carborough named Mary Johnson Rockers. And then a, a man from, he's from Wilmington. I think he has connections around here. His name's Alex Hall. He's also a great songwriter. It's a pretty good crew we've got. Why do you think these people are willing to dig in their bindles and roll up their sleeves to donate their goods and energy? I think when you go out there, immediately you just really get this sense of community. Not only because you see a lot of you know, familiar triangle names, but you just kind of have this feeling that we're all we're all in it to enjoy the music and to, to get to know each other and to kind of realize that I don't know, the world runs better when we all work together and, and you can it's it's evident um, when you're there and I think I don't know, the businesses want to be involved obviously to get their names out there, but also just to kind of be a part of something bigger. Is one of the goals for building the community arts center to expand the amount of activities that occur at Shakori Hills. Yeah, that's a that's a big part of our mission. Um, obviously, the the two festivals we have, and then we also have a fiddlers convention in September. But those have been the big events that have occurred. And now we want to start um, to do other things, have have camps or retreats out there. Like a local potter could come and decide to teach classes for a weekend, or the Girl Scouts could come and have it have an overnight and learn about nature. We have weddings out there, birthday parties, all kinds of things. Um, but we, we want to open it up to let people kind of come out and have that festival experience all year round, I guess. Is this your first fundraiser since announcing in the spring that you plan to buy Shikori Hills? It is, yeah. Um, and we're hoping to, to have a few more things like this. Um, it's, been, it's actually been pretty fun to put together. And, and it's been really great, like I said, just to see the, the people that want to help. Um, and that makes us feel really good about where we're going. What are the mile markers that you're trying to reach? The down payment for the farm is is $75,000 and we raised about 15 at the festival. So we're we're hoping between this and the fall festival and um and some maybe random donations between now and then that we'll get to 75,000 by March.
are listening to hear this on Island the Triangle. We are talking with Sarah Waters from the Shakuri Hills Music Festival about their fundraiser for the Shakuri Hills Community Arts Center on Saturday, August 21st. Entertainment includes a North Carolina songwriter in the round series with Hobex's Greg Umphreys, John Howie Jr., Catherine Whalen from the Squirrel Nut Zippers, the Carolina Chocolate Drops, Justin Robinson, as well as Mary Johnson Rockers and Alex Hall. The In the Round music will be bookended by an opening performance from Jack Maverick and his Wild Rebels, and Holy Ghost Tent Revival will close out the evening. Okay, Sarah, tickets in hand. How do you envision the night unfolding? Gates open at 5, so you can come in anytime and set up camp. And um, we're going to have the performance is going to be at the Grove stage, if you're familiar with it. But if not, it's I personally, it's my favorite stage at the festival. It's kind of a, on a hillside, and it's grassy. And I'd say bring some chairs and blankets and a cooler. And we'll have um, pizza, fresh-made pizza there. And a few other snacks, and then we'll have beer from Carolina Brewery. But then you're also welcome to bring your own food and snacks and um, and bring the family and bring whoever. <laughs> what was the genesis of this fundraiser? Shakori Hills Community Arts Center is, is a nonprofit, and it's run by a board. And we ha- had a board meeting one night out at the Chatham Marketplace, and we were just kind of throwing out ideas. And, and the fir- I think um, Jordan, who is uh, the, the guy who started the Grassroots Festival here, said let's have um what do you say let's have hot summer nights i think was his first idea um so we may continue with that idea later but then he just kind of started talking about all the the great people and great artists from north carolina and he's like let's just have some some of the stars from north carolina and so we started asking a lot of artists and they started saying yes and it all kind of formed after that i've got my ticket my camping gear all set to shuffle some great music and sleep out under the stars at the uh, north carolina all stars in the round what about you? As a staff member, will you be able to enjoy the night, or will you be kept busy making sure that everything runs smoothly? A little bit of both. It's it's kind of hard to balance. I used to go out to the festival before I worked there, and um, so I was obviously able to relax a lot more then. But um, but it's also just it's fun. It, it it's fun work. So I'm working hard and kind of nervous about everything, but I'm also just seeing everybody having a good time and seeing people I haven't seen in six months, and so I can I can have a little bit of fun too. How will you measure the night as successful? Well, we, you know, we know we're not going to raise the $75,000 in, in, in one night, but we, we would just like for everybody to come out and realize what we're doing and, and spread the word. And obviously a good a good chunk of money would be nice just kind of to spread that spirit out there and, and let everybody know what we're doing and thank everybody for what they've done so far. Are you worried about any pressures? Are you weary of anyone taking the land out from under you or are you having to deal with a ticking clock? Um, right now, there's not necessarily a ticking clock. We have a, a lease for a year, um, and you know we don't feel like it's going to be taken away from us in March when the lease is up. But with the economy, you just kind of never know, and so we, we'd like to be safe and go ahead and own it. Thanks for being with us, Sarah. What's the best way to stay up to date with Shakori Hills' progress, festival announcements, lineup updates, and special events? I guess what I'm trying to ask is, what's your website? It's, it's uh, shakorihills.org. And um, you can also call 919-542-8142. I'm Jacob Downey. This is Hear This on I Am The Triangle, 88.1 That wraps up another episode of I Am the Triangle with Seja Hindi. Actually, the last episode of that, but I Am the Triangle will be airing 
Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. with another host who will be awesome. So make sure to tune in. Um, and it will be every week starting next Tuesday. Um, as always, make sure to nominate people for Wolfpacker of the Week on WKNC.org slash EOT, which we will be relaunching next week. So you should definitely check that out. Um, and also, comments, questions, or suggestions, make sure to email publicaffairs at WKNC.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNCEOT or look us up on Facebook, I in the Triangle. Thanks for tuning in.